Hi there, Joanne Grabala here. Welcome to another episode of the Five All In podcast. Today, I have a really, really special guest. Her name is Kelly from Heck Public Affairs. Welcome to the podcast, Kelly. It's such a privilege to have you here. Oh, I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you so much, Joanne. So just for the audience, where are you you sat at the moment? Where are you actually positioned? I am positioned in New Hope, Pennsylvania, which is about 45 minutes north of Philadelphia in the U.S., and as you know, I had a recent trip to New Hope. I actually stayed in New Hope, Kelly. You did. I, I think that's when I was in California, right? So I missed you. Yeah, but I, we actually rented a house. I had no idea. I was not part to the organization of this. But we actually rented a house in New Hope. It was beautiful. Oh, so fun. Yes, I love living here. It's a great town. Yeah, really beautiful part of the world. Okay, I think it's important that I tell the audience that I am a total fangirl of you. (laughs) And what (laughs) it's true. Um, It's mutual. (laughs) Thank you. Kelly has recently supported me to write a 7,000 word referable speech, something that I definitely did not believe that I could do. Kelly. How the heck did you put up with me on our recent writing project? How did I put up with you? It was a pleasure working with you, Joanne. And I'm just so proud of you. I know you came into the process thinking that you weren't a writer, but now you know that you are, right? Well, we're still working on only that one. Yeah. Do you often work, Kelly, with people similar to me, like me, that have really, you know, I write, I write pieces for work. I write pieces for my social media platform, but I've never, I mean, I did write a 10,000 word dissertation, you know, many, many moons ago. And that, that was a whole other kettle of fish. But how often do you work with people who are probably like me, who have no real training or skill in this area, and certainly maybe not a belief that they can do it? I, I, I work with people um, who are like you more often than not, I would say. So I've spent a bit of my career as a ghostwriter for people that are in the public eye and they're not, perhaps they don't have the time or they're not writers, but they need to be out there speaking. So I've written in that context, but I also am a writing coach for a lot of uh, public speakers and people that need things written that that just really have never done that. They don't have the time to sit down. They feel like they can't. So that's really what I do. I work with a lot of people like you. And I recently launched a new business working with high school seniors and juniors that are applying to colleges here in the U.S., And they feel like they are not writers and they need to do the college essay portion of the application. So I'm I'm working with them as well because I really feel like everyone's a writer. I mean, everyone has a story, right? You just maybe don't sit down and put pen to paper or on your computer in the traditional sense, but everyone has a story and just needs to kind of get that coaching to get it out of them sometimes. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And you certainly did that with me. What, so if you are an unwriter, but do need to step into that role, whether it's a referable speech or whether you, you know, you've got a boardroom pitch to do, what do you recommend people initially focus on in terms of starting to focus on building that as a skill set? I think uh, just sitting down and brainstorming uh, to start. I think thinking about, you know, you can do it in a traditional sense, or you can just jot down kind of what your message points are. 
and always be authentic. It comes across very much if you, if you're not being honest. So I would say just be who you are and there's nothing wrong with that, but that is what the audience will most appreciate is really hearing authenticity. So sit down and brainstorm and think about what you want to say. And also, I mean, you want to interest your audience. So like I said, you want to tell a story. You don't just want to always walk. You want to have that contrast in there. You don't want to just have teachable moments. I mean, you need those, but you want to bring them into your experiences as well. So those are all key, important parts, I think, when you first start. Yeah. I mean, that was one of the key things that I learned from you is that there is there is a there is a process and when you follow it, it can make it a really doable experience. And, and, you know, from my experience, I was like so resistant. And then I was like, this is great. (laughs) Well, you were like an A plus student. I mean, you, if you follow along and like you said, do the process and you really put the work in, I think you, you find that it is a repeatable process. So I hopefully going forward, not just for this speech that you wrote, but for every speech, you, you know, now that you can sit down and follow this process and actually come out at the end with, with a really usable speech. Uh, well, thanks to you, I can. Can we just talk about the essay, the, the new product that you business that you've got helping high school students do their college yeah sure how I mean it's very different for I know I have you know that I work with um, some US clients so I know it's very prevalent in the next step in education for kids in the US what are what are you seeing some of the biggest challenges with kids writing their college application today well the biggest challenge I really think is the parents uh, I've spoken to college admissions uh, workers from you know small private, universities to Ivy Leagues to big public state schools. And this generation of parents is so hands-on and cares so much about their kids and wants them to excel, but uh, they really need to take a step back and let the kids actually write an authentic essay. And it does not have to be perfect. They would rather see an honest essay that really shows them who these students are that are applying to their school than another essay just talking about all of their accomplishments in high school. So that's, that's really the biggest challenge right now is, is getting the parents to back off and just let their kids kind of be who they are and introduce themselves and use it to their advantage because it's a real opportunity to set you apart from the other applicants. Oh my goodness. How are you handling the parents then? (laughs) Well, it's a fine line. I mean, I try to convince them of my expertise and, you know, how often I have done this and what, how much I know about what colleges are looking for. But it's a good balance, you know, because ultimately the parents are hiring you, but you're working with their children. So it runs the gamut depending on the family and the parent type. But I think, I mean, I try to convince them that it's very easy for colleges to spot when parents, I mean, I've been told by one Ivy League counselor said that they know that up to 70% of parents are actually writing these or have their hands too much in their kids' essays. And there's very easy ways to spot that. So we certainly, you know, I, I warn the parents against be falling into that trap. 70%. Yes. That is a phenomenal figure, isn't it? It is. It really is. And it's, it's, it's doing a disservice. Even though parents think they're helping their kids, it's doing a disservice to them because they're they're 
wanting their kids to market themselves in a way that's not authentic. And just as we were speaking earlier, I mean, everyone wants to see see when they're reading an essay or when they're hearing a speech, authenticity matters. I mean, real, you don't have to be perfect. You have to be real. Yeah. And and I saw that having worked with you and getting up and getting the speech that we wrote together on its feet. And I think one of the things that I learned from working with you, Kelly, is, is, you know, sharing the real stories that matter. And I think what what I got out of my process of working with you is, is learning how to share authentically and seeing what happens when an audience gets that, you know. Right. And did you feel like you were really connecting then? Like, oh. it, Yeah seeing their reaction you know to the I'm I'm not going to give it away but you know the very first part that we wrote that Mm -hmm. very impactful first part um, Mm and seeing women around the room literally have their breath taken away and brought to tears and to have men who say you know I had to pause and think did I do Oh, that's wonderful. And having women come up to me and say, oh my goodness, that resonates with me. And so before, you know, I've done some speaking, but I've never felt good about it. That can take your breath away when you're on stage speaking. Right. Right. As as a performer. I just love that opening of your speech. It's just such a strong, compelling story. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. So you are working with the, working with college kids. What other, what other in terms of like um, people that you really enjoy working with, who would that be, Kelly? I really love working with that age student. Um, you know, the kind of young adult coming into their themselves. I, I really, it runs the gamut. I love working with all people and learning about them, hearing their stories. But I do have a soft spot in my heart for that age. And I'm happy to be working with that age again. I was a uh, adjunct professor uh, for college freshmen, teaching them public speaking a few years ago. And I really, really loved working with that age. So I'm kind of back in that that age range again with this little side business with the college essay coaching. Oh, wow. So you were a college professor. I was, yes. I was teaching public speaking, but also speech writing. And it was actually a mandatory course for college freshmen, which I think is wonderful because a lot of these young people had never, they were terrified of speaking in front of a room, in front of their classmates, and they never had experience really doing that before. And so it was a new thing for them and something that they're going to have to do from, you know, a job interview to giving a presentation with their team at work. And I think it's just really a critical life skill that that is important. Uh, we, we've we touched on, I've um, been working, interviewing a few people today, and we've been touching on the kind of the social media's impact on human beings. Do you, in terms of like you say, um, people are terrified of public speaking, and I think that goes across, you know, that's a, something that's really super common. But have you seen it be more common now that kids are communicating via platforms rather than speaking? Oh, definitely. It was so interesting to me as, you know, when I was teaching that college course that my students would come into class and just, they wouldn't interact with each other. I mean, they would just sit on their phones until class started. And one of my classes, you know, they all became very good friends and even went out to breakfast, basically the whole class, the last day of class. And 
but they communicated not with each other talking in person. They all joined, you know, Snapchat with each other. So Snapchatting, they're right next to each other and they're using social media instead of just turning to the person next to them and talking. So it's very, very different than, than when you and I were growing up. I think it's, it's a different world and it's something that communication professionals have to take into consideration because it's not going away. It's getting, it's growing more and more. And it's something that we have to learn how to navigate, uh, you know, it's it's just a new tool and it's there. Yeah. And I think that's something that I talk to a lot of the organizations that I work with and leaders that I work with is that we're seeing, you know, young younger generations coming through de-skilled in the communication piece. Right. And we as leaders have to find the way through that and how we can support them to to become effective communicators. Right. Yes, important. And I think in some ways, I mean, there's some pros of social media. I think some people that are more introverted and, you know, they feel more confident with that platform. And so there's some real benefits, but there's definitely some real drawbacks as far as interpersonal communication. And we really need to continue to work on being effective communicators. Yeah. And I think you've hit on something really interesting there, Kelly, is if you are more introverted, then the people, I think I've noticed that people then do gravitate to more that style of communicating, but that then actually becomes a bit of a barrier to them being able to put themselves out there. Right. Right. So it's something that I think we, we as that a generation of leaders have got to keep beating that drum in helping the, the, these young guys coming through to know that it's a really important tool. Yes, I agree. So I have to ask you about flying in a black hawk. <laughs> how, did that, how did that come about? Well, that was um, back in the day. So I had, a, you know, a career in political communications for a long time. And I was working as press secretary, you know, spokesperson, communications director for the governor of New Jersey and Hurricane Katrina, which I'm sure you remember that yeah. out Mississippi, parts of Mississippi along the coast and New Orleans. And it was just a terrible, terrible superstorm. Uh, and our, everyone was lending a hand in the U.S. I mean, people were driving with pickup trucks to bring bottles of water. I mean, it was just a disaster down there. So I was working for Governor Cody and our state troopers actually went down to New Orleans and they were sleeping on cots in a high school down there for several weeks because they were helping in the Ninth Ward, which was you may have heard that was totally devastated in New Orleans and it was a very impoverished area and people didn't have much to begin with. And basically the floodwaters had come up so high in these, you know, one and sometimes two story little tiny homes that they were, it was toxic mold. It was uninhabitable. I mean, it was, it was a terrible situation, but we, the governor Cody and I, and a few journalists, we flew down out of uh, McGuire Air Force Base in New Jersey for the day um, on a refueling jet, which was also pretty cool because it has those, it has like a window where you can kind of lay down and we flew very low um, over Mississippi and we could see everything. Wow. And then 
landed in New Orleans and boarded Blackhawks to uh, see what was going on in New Orleans. And ultimately, you know, the, the intent of the day was to go down and give a pep talk to our state troopers that were working so hard to help the people of New Orleans. So it was a quick one day back and forth trip, but it was quite interesting because I had never been on a helicopter, let alone a Blackhawk. And I was with a couple of uh, state troopers that... Um, they gave me earplugs, so I put them in and, you know, helped me uh, belt in. And then I'm just waiting for the doors to close <laughs> and we take off and I realize, oh, there are no doors. So it was, uh, you know, and these Blackhawks, they're crazy. I mean, maneuvering all over and I'm, I'm a little afraid of heights. So, but it, it was quite an adventure to go on that and realize, uh, yeah, you're strapped in like that because there are no doors on Blackhawks. So much I did not even know that, but adventure. Wow, what an adventure. And interesting, you know, you talk about um, Hurricane Katrina and, and the devastation that happened down there. How, how are things down there now? I mean, what is it about eight years ago? I can't remember off the top of my head. Yeah, more than that, um, I believe. So it was, I think, 2005. Right. Oh, yeah. Um, it's actually been rebuilt and things are great down there. I mean, at the time, you just thought, I mean, Mississippi was a little different because the winds were so big that it kind of just tore everything down. Mm-hmm. And almost felt like that was as terrible and horrendous as it was. You almost felt like that was easier because it was a clean state, a slate. But in New Orleans, all these structures, like I said, were still standing, but uninhabitable. So, I mean, people started burning their own homes down. I mean, it was terrible, but it's really bounced back. You know, I go down there for um, the Democratic Governors Association meeting every December for the past few years. And it's just lovely. I mean, I love New Orleans. It's a wonderful, wonderful place and so resilient and the people are so resilient and it's really, really come back and it's, it's something to see. Wow. And from all of this contrast of whizzing around, you know, this terrible natural disaster, you then partied with the Sopranos. Oh, right. (laughs) Yes. That was, Another perk of, uh, yeah, working for the New Jersey governor. So, uh, David Chase, the producer, um, you know, he was from New Jersey and this was like a Jersey show. And so, uh, the New Jersey film commission was honoring David Chase. And so the entire cast came out to the governor's mansion and we had a huge party and it was quite a fun night. It was, you know, a bunch of really, really nice people on that cast. And it's a night I'll never forget. It was really fun. In my head, it played out like you were actually in The Sopranos. <laughs> yeah. You know, some of them, depending on the character, some of them were very true to character in real life. And some of them were very different. So it was interesting to meet them and interact with them. And I mean, like any actor, you know, I mean, some actors are, are really get into character and they're nothing like that in real life. And some of them, well, maybe they got that part because they are like that. So it was, I, I, it was a very, very fun evening though. I won't make you spill the beans on who was really like that character. <laughs> I kind of want to guess, but I will talk about you that that offer. Um, One of the questions I want to ask you about is you mentioned when you filled out your briefing document with me, you mentioned one of your hardest lessons in leadership was being responsible for your team's failures and shortcomings. Is there one incident that you can share with us how you helped yourself and team regroup after such a, 
a process happening? So um, as a, as a manager, as a, as a team leader, I think it's so critical that you build a good team because you quickly learn that you can't do everything yourself. And I've held a lot of director position type manager roles and you are responsible ultimately for any shortcomings of your staff and you know no one's perfect mistakes are going to happen so i think you just you work with your team and you you keep very open and close lines of communication and you give feedback i mean when good things happen and bad things happen i mean that's important as a manager you're always accessible and you kind of, if there's a mistake or a failure on the part of you or your team, you regroup and you talk about, you know, how that can be prevented next time. And sometimes you need to change uh, procedures and the way that things are done. And it allows you to actually improve and grow like any mistake. So that's really, you know, what you learn, I think, from a manager position that works most effectively. Because one of the interesting things that I read about you was you took the role of being the youngest ever press secretary and comms director in New Jersey. What was your standout moment from that experience, Kelly? Well, I think my standout moment was just the success that we had. We actually came in during a massive political crisis that made international news the governor at the time resigned in a huge scandal. And my boss was the sitting Senate president. We didn't have a lieutenant governor in New Jersey at the time. And so the next in line to be governor was the Senate president. And so overnight, I was kind of, I was his speechwriter in the Senate and I was kind of thrust into this role. And and people in New Jersey had really lost faith in government amidst this scandal. They really didn't trust the government officials at all. And we worked tirelessly, uh, my team and I, for two years to rebuild the public trust. And my boss left office with rock star approval ratings. I mean, he was just so loved, remains loved today. Uh, and, and I was really, really proud of, of that. So we worked very hard to, you know, have open communication with journalists and with the public and just restore the people's trust in government and in the process and in the public officials in New Jersey. That's so one of the questions I want to ask you is what do you feel that your current day, um, political leaders could learn from the work that you guys did during that challenging time? I think being open and being honest are the two most important things. Like we talked about earlier, I mean, it always comes down to authenticity. I mean, the public is not stupid. They, they know when you're being false and they know when you're not being real. And it comes across very clearly. I mean, whether you're watching a candidate debate or you're watching, you know, a press briefing, you can tell when someone's being authentic and you can tell whether it's a press secretary or the actual, uh, you know, uh, office holder or candidate, you can tell. And so having that realness and that authenticity and 
being very honest when you make a mistake. I mean, not trying to cover it up or blame someone else, but just, you know, no one is perfect. And so I think when there's a crisis or there's, you know, just a big mess that you're involved in. I I don't know what big mess you're referring to right now. (laughs) Whether whether it's your own fault or someone else's, I mean, you ultimately need to take responsibility for that. So And the public will, they'll give you credit for that. You know, some people are scared to admit when they're wrong, but, but that's ultimately what you need to do. Yeah. I think there's that there is, it sounds like when I read your story, it really kind of resonated with me and and knowing you a little bit the way that I do, I was like, yeah, there was nothing else going to happen, but he was going to leave a rock star. Yeah. Oh, thanks. So how do you keep learning and moving forward, Kelly? What what are the things that you do on a regular basis to keep progressing yourself? I really try to challenge myself often. I try to take on new things that might intimidate me or make me feel nervous or put me outside of my comfort zone. And I find that that keeps me feeling kind of invigorated and it keeps me growing and it keeps me feeling alive. I mean, I love that. Not, and I'm not talking about jumping out of airplane kind of like, you know, adventures, but, um, just on a daily basis. I mean, if there's something with professionally that makes me feel like, well, I've never really done this. Am am I up to the challenge? I, I really rarely say no, because I know that I can figure it out and I'll learn something and grow in the process. So when you say intimidate you, what would be an, what would be an example of something that would intimidate and nervous you and make you nervous that you would give a, give out a try, give a try to? Well, you know, I've taken on more public speaking roles myself. I always was kind of more the writer behind the scenes person and I could teach public speaking, but I wasn't asked to speak because I was usually putting other people forward like from the governor to Senate president, you know, I'm always making other people look good. So, uh, but I have started speaking myself and I've learned that I actually enjoy it. So that would be one example. Uh, also professionally, you know, in public relations, you're often at, or communications, strategic communications, you can be asked to do a multitude of different things. And maybe there's an area that I haven't worked in before, or there's a certain task that, that I haven't done in my job, but I know that my skill set and, you know, will lend itself. And, and so I try something new. Good on you. Well, I, one of the things that I was just giggling to myself, because we, as, as part of the writing process, I was always saying to you, Kelly, I'm used to putting the cape on everybody else. I'm not used to wearing the cape myself. And I just right. heard you right. talk about that as well. So, because I'm like, ah, that's why she used to give me that really knowing look going, it's okay, you're going to do this. <laughs> it's a new role though, right? I mean, yeah. it's intimidating at first because you're used to making other people look good, but then you can kind of make yourself look good sometimes too. Yeah. Right? And, and because when you are somebody that's used to, you know, making everybody be their post best, most special shiny self. Um, when that spotlight turns on you, it can be blinking terrifying. Yes, it sure can. Yeah. So I want you. I just want to ask you a second about how how do you find a family and a business balance without losing your sanity or feeling guilty? 
it's a fine line, I have to say, um, to be a really hands-on mother. I have a daughter that's 12 and a daughter that's nine, and I am very involved in their lives and to be there for them, but also, you know, still fulfill myself professionally and do what I need to do. It's a fine line. And I actually had a situation last year where I took on way more than I I could. And I had to take a step back and walk away and admit to myself, this is not manageable because my I'm not seeing my family. I'm missing out on important things. I was asked to come into the administration of the current New Jersey governor and I really admired everything that he was working on. And I took a role for the, uh, as communications director for the board of public utilities that was implementing the governor's governor Murphy's clean energy, uh, platform that he had ran on. And he had the most aggressive clean energy campaign in the U S so that all by 2050, all energy would be clean in New Jersey. Wow. We're focused on offshore wind and solar energy and all of that. And it was very exciting for me, but it was such a huge job, a huge job. Mm-hmm. And I found myself working again, you know, like I was in my twenties and early thirties, like 60 hours a week, 70 hours a week. And you know, my, I was missing my kids. So like I said, it's a fine balance because it was flattering to be asked to come back and work for this governor that I admired. And it was a great role that I liked, but I also need to be there for my my children. Mm. It, you know, I have a lot of conversation with working women, mums who it, it's a constant juggle, isn't it, Kelly? It is. It really is. And I'm in a good spot right now with consulting because I can say no. I I don't like to say no, but I can say no. And if it's too much. And so I take on different projects. And if I'm very, very busy, then I have to say, I can't do that right now. But it's nice to have that freedom when you work for yourself to be able to say no sometimes and have some flexibility. And I think that's kind of the sweet spot for me. Yeah. What advice would you offer for maybe a new or a future business leader? What thing would you get them to focus on in terms of being able to balance their work and family life? I think uh, as much as you can, when you leave work, you have to kind of be able to turn it off a little bit. And that's a really difficult thing, especially in a field like mine, where reporters would be calling me sometimes till midnight, even at home, you have to set boundaries because I mean, so I would tell the reporters, you know, if you don't call me by 6 PM, like this is not, you're not getting the story today. Um, that's something that they can do. You know, they don't need to call me at 10 PM at home. Um, and I think that that's a problem with today, with everyone being so accessible via email and smartphones and you really never leave the job. And so you kind of are, even though you might be home, you're not really plugged in to your home because you're still in work mindset. And as much as you can turn that work off and just devote quality time to your family in the hours that you are home, I think that's, that's a real key thing to be able to do. 
Yeah, it's uh, boundaries are huge, aren't they? And um, mm. I think as we've evolved and we've had, you know, these open platforms and everybody's so accessible, a lot of the time we've lost the art of boundary holding. Agreed. Yeah. And, you know, it's one of the things that I work on in my immersion days with my women leaders and getting them to go, you know, boundaries, boundaries create safety, they create freedom, they bring back creativity because we need to decompress from our careers. Yes. And I think if you don't, you're not as effective when you are working. I mean, you need somehow that work-life balance and it's so difficult to achieve, but you need it to be a, like as complete a person and to actually give a hundred percent when you are at work or you'll just be burned out all the time. Yeah. And that's something that people are still, you know, only cottoning onto now is that burnout is real. Yes. And burnout, usually, you know, when I work with people, burnout and poor boundaries are literally, you know, hand in hand bedmates. Right. And you provide such an awesome service for all the clients that you work with. I mean, it's just, it's just amazing what you do, Joanne. Oh, Kelly, back at you. (laughs) What's on the future horizon for you, Kelly? What's your aspirations as a leader? Well, I just, I want to continue. I love working as a writing coach and I really want to see where this college essay coaching takes me. I think there's a real need uh, in the community where I live and I also do it remotely. And I love working with uh, students like yourself and just helping them discover that, yes, they, they are writers too. I mean, they, they can write, you can write, you're an amazing writer. And just so fulfilling to see that kind of success, the way that you struggled with your confidence in the beginning and didn't think you could do it and you just nailed it. So, I mean, that is like, it's just the ultimate as a writing coach. So I, I just, I'm really so pleased that I get to work with students like you and I love my job. Yeah, I, I don't think you even know this yet, but when I was down at um, Heroic Public Speakers HQ, do you know that I got awarded the Challenger coin? I did not. Oh my God. I'm not surprised. I am not surprised, but that is so exciting. And um, I did a, tr- you know, it was a, jo- it was a team effort. That Challenger coin was a team effort and you were part of that team, Kelly. It would never have happened without you. Oh, that's awesome. Congratulations, Joanne. Uh, well, it was, it was one of those things that I tell the story and it was partly to do with the treacherous journey that I had. Just to give a bit of background, I flew yes, that out. was crazy. I know. I flew out to be in New York and I had to be in New York by the Sunday because I had something going on. And I got to the airport and they said, oh, you're going by Toronto. And I was like, I can do this. We've got this. And they put my seat as far forward as they could. They were like, just get off the aircraft. I was hand luggage only. And I was like, I've got this. So I first off the aircraft, doing a mad dash through Toronto Airport, you know, throwing my trainers off to go through security, pulling all my stuff behind me, got through security. And I was feeling so smug. And then the last part of the check in, they scanned my boarding cast and went, Your flight's cancelled. Everything to East Coast US is cancelled. 
So I had to, they were like, you can, we can get you to try, to New York on Tuesday. And I was like, that ain't going to work. <laughs> or you can go home on the next flight home later this evening. And I was like, oh, I'll just go home because I don't really want to do this anyway. And blah, blah, blah. All the stuff that I'd gone on about you. I'm the one. Oh. I, put the, I put the cape in everybody else. And yes, I know we really? do this speech. Yeah. And then I had a word with myself, Kelly, remembered who I was. And I went to the Greyhound desk and got myself on a coach at 7 p.m. Toronto time and was on that coach for 15 hours to get to New York by 11 a.m. the following morning. That is a hero's journey for sure. <laughs> and I'm so, so that proud was, of you. Yeah. And I was thinking, you know what? It would have been so easy because you know how much I was like, yeah, I don't really want to come and do this bit. I yes. can stay. So yeah. So you were there all the way on that coach, Kelly, just going, you, oh. you can do this. Get on the coach. Oh, so, I'm so glad that you made it. I can't believe what you went through to get but so that the challenger coin that is part that is our challenger coin it's not mine it's ours oh. uh, finally before we wrap up I've got to ask tell me about hip-hop dancing hip-hop dancing well most uh you know people wouldn't think that a woman my age well, you know a mother of two would be into that but I I grew up in the era of, you know, the birth of hip hop and that's kind of my music and, you know, the nineties hip hop. And I have always loved to dance. And so I started taking a class a few years ago at a dance studio and was really fortunate. I had this really great dance. He was a real dancer. I mean, he was in a dance crew and everything and he taught this class and I got a couple of my friends to join and it became such a great outlet just one evening a week to do this thing that I used to do when I was younger. And I still have it. <laughs> You've still it. got it for sure. I still got it. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's fun. I'm going to have to join in a hip hop, hip hop class next time I'm down in New Hope with you. Oh, yeah. It's so yeah I'm joking. I have, I've got two left feet. Don't you? Don't oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly, where can people find you if they're looking for you online? So if you're looking for me online, I'm on LinkedIn. Anyone can connect. Um, I'm on Facebook. I have a, a write your at Write Your Future Inc. is my handle on Instagram and my Facebook page for the new college essay coaching. And yeah, I would love to hear from anyone. Brilliant. Kelly, thank you so much for being such a fantastic guest today. I oh, my loved... pleasure. It was great I... speaking with you again, Joanne. I've loved hanging out with you and I'm missing you. I'm missing our I'm weekly gonna... Loom videos. Well, next time you come into town, hopefully I'll be here so then we can connect. September, we are on it. Oh, sounds great. Great. Thank you so much, Kelly. And I look forward to having a conversation with you again in the future. Okay. Thank you so much. Take care.